I started on Sunday a message from Psalm 92 and verse 12. Uh, several weeks ago, I preached the first half of that. It said, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. And I dealt with how we as believers in righteousness have the similarities that a palm tree has. Dealt with several things in that particular sermon. And then on Sunday morning, uh, I started dealing with the second half of this verse. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And I started a message on the cedars of Lebanon. Uh, we went to Psalm 104, 16. that said, the trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon, which he hath planted. If you take notes, or possibly you weren't here on Sunday morning, the first thing that I mentioned about these mighty cedars of Lebanon is that they were planted by the Lord. And that makes it clear from scripture to us that we know God was the one that created them. And as he planted them, they were enormous in size, 120 feet tall, their branches go out 110 feet. Uh, some have been 40 feet around in circumference and just a tremendous, tremendous part of God's creation. They were not only enormous, but they're also evergreen. Uh, they remain the same in all seasons, and that's what God intends for us to do. It, it doesn't say that the environment around us doesn't change, but we're to remain faithful through all of it, no matter what's going on in the different seasons of our life. So then after we dealt with the fact that they were planted by God, I also dealt some with the fact that they were preserved by God, preserved in the sense that they had an outer bark that was protective to them, that made them resistant to rot, and also repelled insects. And then the actual sap of the tree itself kept the heart of the tree warm, and the sap also kept the tree very fragrant. And that's where I dealt with some things that I've got a lot of calls and a lot of text about, but it's all good. Uh, just making sure that we, we keep our spirit right, that we have the right attitude with everything that's going on. For those of you here on Wednesday night, even if you're a young person, the majority of you that are here tonight on prayer meeting night, I know uh, a lot of you have been saved for an extended period of time. And you'll find out, and the young people will find this to be true, uh, when you're young and you battle with temptation, uh, you'll battle more things that deal with your actions. The devil will tempt you to do things and act on certain things that's not right. But as you get older, it's no longer your actions. I mean, there's some things that even if you wanted to do it, you can't do it. You just don't have the energy, the strength to do it, you know. Uh, I don't have to worry about some things anymore because my body wouldn't allow me to do it if I wanted to do it. But that doesn't mean that we still don't have a battle. It's no longer our actions, it's our attitude that we have to struggle with and keep our attitude right before God. So we know that the sap is what keeps us fragrant, keeps our attitude right in all situations. And then I left you with the fact that uh, the roots of the tree, they go down deep, unlike the little cedars that grow in the groves and they depend on each other. They have a large taproot, these cedars of Lebanon, and they'll go down the depths, uh, enormous depths, some of them 90 feet deep, and they'll wrap around a rock, and being wrapped around the rock allows them to be preserved in the middle of the storm so that they don't fall over because they're clinging to the rock, and that's where we are. 
Thank God we may not always be what we want to be, but as long as we're wrapped around the rock, Jesus Christ will make it through all of it. Let me go to this next point. They're also perfected by God. Their perfection comes from the Lord. So he plants them, he preserves them, and he protects them in the sense that he allows them to be perfected. Now, if there's ever anything good that comes about in our life, it'll come about because of God and his goodness. He does the perfecting. He's the one that deals with our heart to show us areas where that we need to do better, be stronger. He's the one that does the perfecting. You know, and the amazing thing about this, uh, he planted them. So unlike other trees, no man ever prunes them. They were never pruned by man, taken care of by man. No man ever cultivated them. So they grew wild. God planted them. God took care of them. But even though no man ever pruned them and no man ever cultivated them because man didn't plant them, the truth of the matter is they're one of the few trees that are free from knots. They don't have knots in them. Now, isn't that something? That tells me that if God takes care of us, we're probably not going to be a hard head. And for those of you that know, if you've ever cut into trees, you know the knot is the hardest part of the tree. And God's the one that does the perfect, perfecting in our life. We simply depend too much on our abilities if we're not careful. And also, if we're not careful, we'll spend our time perfecting everybody else when in reality, we just need to let God make us what he means for us to be and to live the life that is pleasing to the Lord and let him perfect the saints. He does the perfecting of the saints. Do you know I can't preach people into righteousness? I can't teach people into righteousness, but I'm here to tell you, if someone falls in love with Jesus and realizes that he gave them the life that they have spiritually, the Lord can do a work that nobody else can do. And he can give us a life that's free from knots. C.H. Spurgeon said they grow in the, mostly in the region known as the eternal snow on top of the mountains of Lebanon. So here they are growing in the roughest of place, but yet they have the greatest perfection on the inside. Aren't you glad God can do a work on the inside of us? And let me tell you something else about the perfecting of why I believe that, that they are perfect in so many ways and how they're perfected by God. They are always, 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 not sometimes, not maybe, they are always reddish in color. When you cut in to their heart, it's red. Let me back up over that. It's because of the blood. The blood not only applied on the outside of us, but on the inside of us. It starts on the inside. If God doesn't do a work inside of us, perfecting us, we can do everything else we want. And the truth of the matter is, it'll not make any difference. But when you have the blood of Christ applied, red on the inside, everything's about the blood of Jesus. And when we get away from the blood of Jesus, we have no perfection. It is his blood that cleanses from all unrighteousness. It takes the blood of Christ. So they were perfected by the Lord. 
I don't know how far I'll get into this tonight, but let, let, me, let me give you another point anyway. If I don't finish up, I'll try to finish up Sunday. They also were used, cedars were used for purification by the Lord. You'll find that purification that took place uh, in the Bible, there, there, were, so there were certain problems that existed. See, here's, here's our struggle with the world we live in today. Everybody wants to find problems, but nobody gives solutions. Oh, we're good at finding problems, but sooner or later, someone's gotta come up with a solution. Do you know that the Bible, every time the Bible ever talks about any defilement, any defilement whatsoever, every time the Bible talked about defilement, God not only brought out what brought the defilement, but God had a way, a solution for the defilement that came. In other words, he didn't just point out and say, you're defiled because of this and then leave us there. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing to have conviction but not have the power of the spirit and the power of the blood to do something about the sin that the Holy Spirit convicts us of? It's not enough just to be convicted. Thank God for conviction. I don't think any man comes and any woman comes to the Lord except the Lord draw them. He draws them by his spirit. But just because he draws you doesn't mean that anything changes. You can become aware of it and aware of the fact as you look at the law of God and since the spirit of God, you can become aware of the fact that you have sinned, but nothing changed. You've gotta have a means, a solution to overcome the things that defile. Now the Bible's very specific on certain things that defile. One thing is there were diseases that would defile a person. If a person had certain diseases, they were no longer capable of going to the temple to worship. It hindered their worship. They were no longer able to make contact in society with certain people. It, it interrupted their social life, their spiritual life. And even it would interrupt their secret life, their life at home, because oftentimes it would separate them from their family because God's law said, once you're defiled with certain things, you could no longer even be in your family environment because the whole family could come in contact with it. And if they came in contact with it, then defilement would be on them as well. For example, leprosy. When leprosy was declared to be leprosy by the priest, we know that God had a law, the law of the leper. And leprosy was a picture or type of sin. It eventually led to death, but it also led to a lot of problems before that death came. But it isolated the person from the house of God. It isolated the person from society. They had to declare themselves to be unclean. They couldn't come in contact with others. Would it be a terrible thing to just have to come and stand out off the property and look at the church and never be able to come inside the church? That's what leprosy was. Wouldn't it be awful to see your children pass by and you not be able to give your children a hug? not be able to hold your wife's hand, not be able to touch anyone, but instead if someone got within so many feet of you, you had to cry out, unclean, unclean. Yeah. 
Now God knew the power of this disease and he knew how contagious that the disease was. Those laws weren't set up because God was punishing the leper. No, God knew leprosy could spread. So he said, for society to go on, you have to have some guidelines there to help you with this type of disease. Well, it's one thing for the priest to say you're a leper, but what do you do about it? They didn't have medicine you could take for it. The doctors didn't have the cure for it. They had to go to the priest. And the priest only had the cure because God gave him the cure in the word of God. You read about the cure in the word of God in Leviticus chapter 14 in particular, beginning with verse four down to about seven. Verse seven, if my memory serves me correct. And you remember what they would do. They would come and the priest would take two birds, two living birds, and he had an earthen vessel. And he would slay one of the birds over running water. And then that running water would flow with the blood into that earthen vessel. And then he would take the living bird. One's already been sacrificed. He would take this living bird and he would would dip it in the water and the blood that's inside this earthen vessel. The one bird's been sacrificed. So now you've you've got the vessel, you've got the bird, You've got the blood, but then he would also take hyssop. The word hyssop, if you ever travel to Holy Land, they don't call hyssop hyssop in the Holy Land anymore. They call it the faith plant. It's the faith plant. Because if you ever see it growing, it just grows out of the rock. You can look up on the wailing wall, way up feet, several feet high, and all of a sudden you wouldn't think that anybody, anything could grow there or that anyone could get there to plant anything, but that hyssop plant will be clinging to that wall, living on a stone wall, clinging by faith. So it's known as the faith plant. So they take faith, mix it with the blood, mix with the running water, and they take scarlet, the color of the blood, and also the color of the king's robe, and they add cedar. And they take that living bird with the hyssop and the scarlet and the cedar and the blood and the water and dip that bird into all of that. Take that bird out to an open field, turn that bird loose and it flies into the heaven. One bird dies, the other bird flies into the heaven. Two birds that look exactly alike. What's that a picture of? The one is a picture of Jesus Christ and his death on Calvary. And they plunge the spear in his side. Forthwith came the water and the blood. And he was on across the wood. And the only way that you can ever be saved is you've got to see him in scarlet. You've got to say, the one that shed the blood is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And the blood and the water came out and he died on a cross. But then that same one that died on the cross that had been dipped in the water, in the blood, that same one was buried. But in the open field on that first resurrection morn, Hallelujah, he flew away and he says it's a picture of the Lord taking care of our defilement. So leprosy was a picture 
of defilement. There was also the defilement of sin. When sin came, sin was not only damaging in its character all alone, but it also defiled certain things it came in contact with. For example, Eliezer, the high priest, was given the command that before they could ever worship, before they could ever worship in the tabernacle, in the temple, Eliezer was given a command, for example, that he was to take a red heifer. The red heifer could have no spots and no blemishes. Had to be perfect. And by the way, you need to hear this because what I'm preaching tonight, this same thing will have to take place before the temple can ever be rebuilt. Because when Jerusalem was overthrown in 70 AD by the Romans under Titus rule and the Jews were dispersed throughout the world, in 1948 they were declared a nation. But when they came back then at the end of the six day war, reclaimed their territory, including the Temple Mount area. And when they come back into that area, they have, they have the area that's occupied and controlled by them. But the problem is, before they can ever rebuild that temple, they have to do exactly what he told Eliezer to do. They have to have a red heifer with no spots. You can't have a white spot, can't have a black spot. Now that don't sound like much for any of you that raise cattle. You know that the cow doesn't always have the same color from head to hoof. But this is a red heifer, red from head to hoof. No spot, it can have no blemish. It can have no marks on it. It has to be perfect. It's inspected on the outside. When it is sacrificed, it's inspected on the inside. The priest was almost like a skilled surgeon. The priest of that day, don't misunderstand how sacrifice took place. They were almost like a skilled surgeon. They would fillet the, the hide off of the animal. That was the only part that wasn't sacrificed. It was the skin. They kept the skin, you knew that, didn't you? According to Leviticus, the skin belonged to the priest. I don't know, maybe maybe I better not preach this tonight. That belonged to the priest. I I think it's amazing that everything that was ever offered, God would offer it all up when it was offered up to be burnt on the altar. It was all burnt up, the fat, all of it was burnt up. But here's this skin that he separates and says the priest gets to keep the skin. You say, why is that? If I forget, remind me when I get to the end. I'll tell you why. But they would then lay the animal out, separate the legs, the head, the internal organs. They would inspect everything on the inside from the head down and every organ on the inside. It had to be perfect or it could not be offered. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? His name is Jesus. To inspect the head means they looked into the very mind of what thought did he have? Can I tell you, Jesus never had a bad thought. 
Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took on himself the form of a servant. He was willing to say, my mind is fixed on heavenly things, and I've settled in my mind, I'm gonna please the heavenly Father. What about his legs? Where he walked, he never walked where he wasn't supposed to walk. His internal organs, his very life came from God. Perfect in all ways. The ones that were responsible for leading to his death declared I find no fault in him. Now let's get this right. He wasn't maybe a little perfect. He was completely perfect. He was without sin, not guilty of any sin whatsoever, inspected by those that were responsible for crucifying, and they declared he was perfect. So this red heifer, perfect on the outside, perfect on the inside, he would then offer up that red heifer on the altar. It was burnt until there was nothing left but ashes. When he offered it up, he offered it up without the camp on the outside of the wall of the old city, without the camp. It would have defiled the whole camp if death was in the camp. I'll not get to it tonight, but I'll verify that to you in another sermon. So here he is now being offered up, perfect. Dies without the camp. I know it was a big ordeal this year. Preachers everywhere were contacting me because there's a lot of controversy if you ever travel the Via Della Rosa. And I certainly not being negative to how people look at it, but uh, there's one or two things in that that cannot be accurate. Just can't be accurate. (laughs) Sorry. One thing is, is that they have a church built that they show that Jesus would have died within the walls of the city. He couldn't have died within the walls of the city. Or you might as well take Hebrews out of your Bible. He died without the camp. That's what the book of Hebrews said. He was on the outside of the city walls where he died. The place of the skull, Golgotha. Wasn't inside the walls of the old city. But then after the, the blood was there, He would take the blood and because that area, the temple, and they'll do it again when the red heifer is offered up, because that temple area has been overthrown by Gentiles and walked upon by Gentiles, it's now defiled. So he takes the blood and he sprinkles the blood with the hyssop and the cedar. And he sprinkles it on the foundation, read about it in Numbers 19, sprinkles it on the foundation and everything has to be sanctified, set apart and cleansed by the blood. And then when that's offered, it is now purified because of the blood. Now you say, preacher, why the skin? Don't worry, I've got three or four more and I'm not gonna get into them, so I'll leave you with this tonight. I just feel like it's a good quitting place. Let me tell you why the skin, according to Leviticus, the skin belonged to the priest. Let's say that you've committed a sin and you go to the priest and you say, it's the blood that makes atonement for the sin. Are we together on that? 
Nothing but the blood can cleanse us. Nothing but the blood brings atonement. The word atonement is just what it says, at one. We're separated from God, but the blood reconciles us back to God, makes us as one again, the way God wanted to be. God didn't leave us. Sin causes us to leave God. But God has a way that we can be at one and reconcile back unto him again. And that's through the blood. It takes the blood. Always has, always will. I don't know what next generations will do, but as far as I'm in this pulpit and preaching, I will always preach it takes the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse of all sin and unrighteousness. We have overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Takes the blood. So they would come, the sacrifice was made. In this case, it's a red heifer. But if you come with a lamb and a lamb is offered for your atonement, a lamb can be offered for the atonement of your sins and forgiveness and cleansing to bring you back at one with God, back reunited where you should be all along. So now you've done something terribly wrong. Let's say that the sin that you committed, it affected your neighbor. See, our sins is not only against God, it can be against others. And let's say the particular sin that you needed forgiveness of, that you came to the priest and they offered the, the lamb for to cleanse of sin, he removes the skin, fillets the legs out, separates the body, separates the organs, separates the fat, and it's offered up to God. He's got the ashes. Well, you go and get forgiveness of that. And years pass by. And you go to the individual and you tell them, I, I got forgiveness of that. I want to make my right wrong, my wrong right rather. You know, we forgot restitution. It's gone. <laughs> I'm an old fashioned preacher. I think you ought to make wrongs right if you can. I know some of them we can't, but we ought to try to. That means it's great if you, if you stole from somebody, it's great to come to the altar and pray about it, but you ought to pay them back. That's not for forgiveness on God's part, that's to make peace with others. I better quit right now. It's not good, but yet the Bible does teach restitution. In fact, you had to restore more than what you'd taken. If you even innocently damaged somebody, you was to put them back in a state that they were better off than they were before. You ought to appreciate that because God, it's not enough that God forgave us of our sin. He made us better off. I'm way better since my sins are forgiven than I ever could have been. He makes us better. And by the way, when we get our new body, we're gonna be way better off. You trust me on that. The best is yet to come. So you go to that individual, you make it right. They die. Their family comes along and they remember hearing their dad talk about how that individual had wronged them. And they say, wait, they go to him and say, hey, you owe our family. Oh no, no, I, I got forgiveness of that. I, I even made restitution to your dad. 
Of course, he's dead. Dead people can't speak. He can't establish it in the mouth of a witness. So they say, we want proof that you've been forgiven. You know what you can do? You can go back to the priest and you can say to the priest, do you remember when I came with my sin and that lamb was offered? The priest said, absolutely. He would dig through all of the skins. He'd find the skin that was your skin of your lamb that was offered. And he'd say, right here it is. Here's the proof of your forgiveness. It's evidence that a sacrifice was offered. I don't know if you're getting this tonight or not, but by the way, Jesus gave his lifeblood. He was inspected. He died. And now the world's going to say to you, when you get forgiveness of sin, they're going to say, prove to me that you're forgiven. Thank God he left the skin. It's the word of God. And the word of God tells us that we have followed his word and believed in him and found forgiveness. So now this red heifer's been offered and they would save the ashes. He'd gather up those ashes and save them. And the ashes were to be a perpetual offering. That meant any time that it was defiled, they had to use some of those ashes again with the water purification, with the hyssop, and also with cedar. But after a while, the ashes start to get low. So when they offered another red heifer, they had to mix the ashes with that original red heifer because it had to be a perpetual offering. See, you hear a lot about them in Israel looking, the Israelites looking and the Jews looking for the red heifer. It's a twofold process. It's not only the fact that they find a red heifer, but also somebody has to know where those ashes were. It's a perpetual offering. But now you mark this down. There's coming a day when even though the temple mount is now defiled, there's coming a time when the high priest is going to take a red heifer going to offer that red heifer up, is going to mix those ashes with the ashes that were from the original red heifer. And he's going to sprinkle with cedar and with hyssop and with the water purification, the foundation of the temple, and it'll be rebuilt again. But by the way, if you see that, we'll already be gone. We'll be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll not be here for any of that. Oh no, we'll be sitting down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But in the meantime, can I remind you that Jesus, the death that he died, it is a perpetual offering. There will never be the need of any other sacrifice. His blood, hallelujah, his death, it is sufficient to cleanse of all sin. Defilement. I'm quitting. Trust me, I got a lot more. It does no good for me to stand here and preach about sin and point out sin if I don't tell you there's a way to get something done about your sin. All I've done is made accusations. I've accused, I've condemned. But God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
So I've got good news for you. If you've sinned, there is a solution. There is help, there is healing, and there is power in the blood.